Welcome to War Stories. I'm Preston Stewart, and this is a show where we talk about America's military history through the lens of individual acts of heroism and valor. Enjoy. Today we have the story of 2nd Lieutenant John Bobo. Bobo served with India Company, part of the 3rd Battalion, 9th Marines, rolled up under the 3rd Marine Division during the Vietnam War. Now, the time period we're going to talk about is in 1967, March of 1967, right near the demilitarized zone that separates North and South Vietnam. The operation going on that we're going to dive into a little bit is known as Operation Prairie 3. So we're going to talk about Operation Prairie, Operation Prairie 2, and lead into Prairie 3. But at a high level, remember Vietnam is, the the conflict in Vietnam is essentially a civil war between North and South. North is backed by the communist-leaning countries in the Cold War, so China and the Soviet Union. And then South Vietnam is backed by, supported by more of the Western-leaning democracies like the United States. So there comes a point where North Vietnam wants to unify the country. But if North Vietnam unifies the country, that means the whole thing becomes a communist nation. And this is a time period in the Cold War where the idea of the domino theory is is out there where loosely it means that when one country falls to communism, then the other countries around them are more likely to fall like dominoes. You know, one leads to the next, leads to the next, leads to the next. We also viewed it as a, a very zero-sum game. So if we essentially – we were at war for – there were a set number of countries in the world, right? And And – if, if one isn't backed by the U.S. and they're going to be backed by the Soviet Union and, and we couldn't risk that in South Vietnam. So there might not be a whole awful lot of United States interests in, in this part of the world. But the fact that there is a communist country starting to set their sights on a non-communist country gets us involved pretty heavily starting in the early 60s. I think we even had folks there in the 50s. And our involvement, the United States involvement in Vietnam would peak around this period, 1967, near the 500, 600,000 troop mark. Now, there's parts in a lot of these conflicts that I just take for granted. I just read over it and say, yep, that's a thing. And you move on. But they're silly when you think about it. And maybe silly is not the right word because we're talking about combat. And there's a lot of people that died around this area. But I'm talking about the demilitarized zone that separates North and South Vietnam. The DMZ was designed, anytime it's used really, it's designed as a little bit of a standoff. That way you don't have troops, you know, yards apart staring at each other, risking a conflict. It reduces the opportunity for an accident to spur war. It's it's used, I mean, this is a great example where these countries have been divided. They've been... Um, hostilities have been present for some time. Let's put in a DMZ. We'll make sure that no militaries are, are crossing through this zone, which spans the entire width of the country. So Vietnam is very um, long and narrow south to north. So the DMZ didn't have to go very far east to west. And, and the idea is, hey, no militaries cross this line. The reason I say it's silly is because militaries were very quickly crossing that line. North Vietnam was sending troops into South Vietnam early. And 
as we're going to dive into Operation Prairie, we tried to stop it and they said, great, we'll go around. We'll go through Cambodia and Laos. So that DMZ was still there. And it went the other way too. The United States didn't push through the DMZ, at least not that I'm aware of. And, and we didn't push troops into North Vietnam and fight there. You know, we don't want to violate this demilitarized zone. We didn't think twice about throwing bombers overhead and, and dropping ordnance all over North Korea. So don't cross this DMZ that's listed on a map. Don't walk across that. But if you need to put bombers overhead and hammer cities in North Vietnam, that's okay. I, it's just this weird, these weird dynamics in, in conflicts. But nonetheless, the DMZ is going to be an area where the South Vietnam government and the United States are concerned that there are North Vietnamese troops pouring across this DMZ. So in, I believe it's 1965, an operation is set up. Well, in 1966, it's been going on for a few years, but in 1966, it becomes named Operation Prairie. And the idea is to patrol heavily in this area just south of the DMZ, so in South Vietnam, to kill, capture, destroy, remove, whatever term you want to use, any North Vietnamese troops that are coming across the border, maybe staging in South Vietnam. So that fight goes on for a few months, I think three or four months, Operation Prairie. And there's a lot of, it's dubbed a success because at the end of the day, there, you know, the U.S. estimates are over a thousand North Vietnamese troops killed at the loss of 200 Americans. So great. We knocked out some of the North Vietnamese. And remember, we always got to come back in Vietnam. We're looking at body count. That's the measure of success. So five to one, um, you know, a thousand plus to 200. That is in the camp of success, if you will. So Operation Prairie wraps up in January of 1967. But um, that didn't stop the attacks in South Vietnam. As we know, just this one little strip across the DMZ was not the only way in and out of South Vietnam. So shortly thereafter, we kick off Operation Prairie 2. And essentially, this is really oversimplifying these operations. And there's more to it than this. But essentially, we're going to do it again. We're going to go back in and force both. Every one of these are going to be heavily led by or almost exclusively conducted by Marines. And they're going to go back in and they're going to look for the enemy and kill them as many as they can. And once again, we're going to say that Operation Prairie 2 was, it was a success. Went on for about a month and a half. There were an estimated six to 700 North Vietnamese soldiers killed and less than a hundred Americans killed. So, you know, six to one, seven to one, that body count starting to add up, starting to help. Um, We'll call Operation Prairie 2, again, a success. Now, in the grand scheme, one of the issues before we get into Operation Prairie 3 and John Bobo, I do want to bring up that we're messing around up here, getting into some pretty serious fights. The Marines are right along the DMZ. But remember, the war in Vietnam was not a war of attrition, even though for a period of time, we thought that's what it was going to be. It ended up being a war for the minds of the people and a war of support from the countryside and from the cities. Without unlimited resources, when we are putting, you know, battalions of Marines along this DMZ to kill, capture, hunt down and destroy NVA units, they're not in the cities 
protecting them. They're not in the hamlets um, helping to establish security. So it's a trade-off. And at this point in the war, we were, we were um, stacking up North Vietnamese bodies thinking that's where the war was going to be won. And I don't know in retrospect if that was um, the right strategy. Maybe it would have been better suited if we'd fallen back throughout the country and, and um, been a little more dispersed, but I don't know. That's, that's going down a kind of a different rabbit hole there. But anyways, operation Prairie two wraps up in early March of 1967. And you guessed it a few weeks later, operation Prairie three kicks off. And from what I can see, operation Prairie three is going to be the last in this um, deliberate series of operations, but it's going to be the same general concept. Um, Marines are going to move out usually in company size forces throughout this area just south of the DMZ. They're going to find enemy forces, fix them, and kill them by any means possible. Operation Prairie 3, also a success. We're talking about another month-long operation, 56 Americans killed, and and two to 300 um, North Vietnamese killed. So the United States continues to be on the positive side of the body count war, if you will. Um, It's just a matter of, is that the best use of our Marines and our soldiers and our military in the country at that time. But that doesn't matter for second Lieutenant John Bobo and the men of India company, third battalion, ninth Marines, because in late March, they are tasked with conducting some of these operations, go out, find the enemy and kill them. It's a pretty routine patrol. They've been through some of these areas before and they set up in an area. They set in for the night, get ready to, um, to wait out the night until the next day. But if they're in, you know, contested territory. So this is, they're in South Vietnam, but this is a heavily patrolled enemy area. So they're getting ready to set in on something known as Hill 70. You just have to name these hills. And this one is named Hill 70, Hill 70. And an order actually comes out to split up the company. So rather than have, rather than have one area that's really heavily defended and kind of larger, they're, they're directed to kind of split out their platoons, which would end up making each platoon a little more vulnerable um, nonetheless, that order came down, they kicked out like that and unknown to the Marines of India company and Lieutenant John Bobo, there was a larger enemy force nearby that was a little bit bigger than a company. So they would have had the advantage in manpower right against India company. But as soon as they split out into platoons, well, now it's going to be a lot easier fight for the North Vietnamese soldiers and they attack as evening sets in and they attack hard. They lead with heavy machine guns and light machine guns and a substantial mortar barrage. So they're dropping mortars all over the Marine position. In fact, they are so, and then the NBA soldiers are creeping through uh, elephant grass, which can be taller than your head. So they're pretty well concealed as they sneak up on the Marine positions. And the whether this was done on purpose or or not, the NVA are dropping mortars just about on their own people. And we've talked about this before in the Korean War as an actual tactic. I don't know how often it was used in Vietnam versus maybe just poor coordination, but nonetheless, it has the desired effect because as soon as those mortar rounds stop hitting, you can pick your head up and look for the enemy. But if those mortar rounds never stop, you don't have the opportunity to look up and see is somebody sneaking up on you. So these types of barrages to suppress the enemy while you sneak up are used all throughout warfare. But often there's a gap because you don't want to hit your own soldiers. You you stop that barrage 
at some point, and then the defenders, if they're still alive, have, you know, ideally moments before you pounce. The NVA were firing you so close to their own men. They were killing some of their soldiers with the mortar barrages, but that also meant that the Marines had very little time to pick their heads up as NVA soldiers were pouring over the top. And there's a lot of hand-to-hand combat reported on Hill 70 on March 30th, 1967. Recognizing that these individual platoons, because they're kind of split up, are at risk of being overrun, 2nd Lieutenant Bobo gets to work. He's the weapons platoon leader, and he starts organizing a hasty defense on the hill. And he's moving from one position to another, doing what leaders do, making sure his guys are okay, checking on the wounded, um, resupplying ammunition, assigning sectors of fire, doing everything he has to do to hold that position and hold their line. As he's doing that, another enemy mortar goes off. There've been, you know, there's mortars all up and down the hillside, and it and it hits Bobo. He's wounded. Now, this isn't just some shrapnel that he catches; it severs his leg just below the knee. So he can't, he's not going to be able to walk out of there. Um, He can live. He's still, you know, this is definitely something he can live through, um, but he's going to be in a tough spot to, to move around the battlefield much anymore. Nonetheless, he refuses medical treatment. And as the medic comes over, has the medic tie a tourniquet around his leg with a web belt. So it's not going to be very tight, but it's something. And the medic moves him about 15 feet. 15, I think it's 15 yards up the hill to where Bobo stops and has him, has him placed up against a tree. So he wants him to sit up against the tree because he wants to be able to defend the rear as his guys start maneuvering to a more defensible position, right? So they're going to consolidate and hang on to this hill, but to do that, they need to buy a little bit of time. And as they're moving, as we've talked about a few times, but when you are moving back, you are at a higher risk of getting shot because you can't, it's hard, very hard to run back and shoot forward at the same time. So often there's something referred to as, as a rear guard action. It's somebody guarding your rear as you move back. That's what Bobo is volunteering for. He's volunteering for that because he recognizes the risk of his soldiers carrying him back up this hill. All of them would be potential targets. So instead of that, he grabs a weapon, props up against the tree, and takes his stump of a leg and drives it into the dirt to stop or slow the bleeding. And from that position, at point blank range, he starts firing into the advancing enemy as they pursue the retreating Marines. During this action, Bobo is credited with killing at least five enemy soldiers as they move to overrun the Marines that are at a very vulnerable position because they are falling back. They're consolidating. But that window that Bobo created as he sat there on the tree, missing part of his leg, allowed his guys to move back, tie in, dig in a more defensible perimeter, and hold on for what would end up being a, a deadly, deadly night. I think I saw um, 16 Americans would be killed that night. But if it wasn't for Bobo's actions, the entire company headquarters where he was set up could have easily been overrun. Early, it didn't take long. Propped up against that tree, Bobo quickly became the only target that wasn't falling back to this more defensible position. And shortly, Bobo, 2nd Lieutenant John Bobo, at the age of 24, would be hit and killed by enemy fire on Hill 70. 
for his actions that day on March 30th, 1967, near Quang Tri province in Vietnam for holding back the enemy attackers so his guys could fall back, dig in, and repel the attack through the night. Second Lieutenant John Bobo will be awarded the Medal of Honor. Hey, thanks for listening to War Stories. If you get a chance, it'd mean an awful lot if you could head over to Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast and leave a review. It helps others to, to find the show. But thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.